I wanted you to feel anxious. That's what the message is about. So I had to get you there. Anxiety lurks off stage. Anxiety is waiting to, to ambush you. It's behind the door. It's around the corner. It's in your next meeting. It's in the next plan for your vacation. It's, it's always around. It's in your future. It's in this moment. You came here today with anxious thoughts. You have anxiety about something, something that you can't control, something that you don't understand, something that you have big questions about. Some of those big questions are for God. God, why do I have to be anxious about this? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me now? You know, every, every Monday for the almost the entire summer, we've been driving to Williamsburg for a, a swim meet with our grandchildren. And, uh, and this past Monday was the last swim meet. Yay! Because uh, I was getting anxious about the tunnel and the traffic and, and riding up there every single Monday. And then you go through a, a three-hour swim meet, and it's, it's anxious because the, the kids are spaced out all over the course of the three hours. And, and are they going to be okay? And are they going to do okay? But this week, I ran into anxiety of epic proportions. I didn't expect it. I wasn't sure what to do with it. And then I saw the, 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 the genesis of my anxiety. Dun, dun, dun. It was this giant parrot. Giant parrots scare me. And this buddy, the little, the little mini-me parrot. Uh, so he had the giant parrot. He was all intimidating and scary and all puffed up and trying to scare me. And, and I don't, I'm not really good around big birds like that. But I realized I have to face my anxiety. I have to go head to head and beak to beak with my anxiety. So there I am. I decided I would go for it. And then I, I got even more brave and I got up close and personal. And now I'm going to drive to Williamsburg every Monday just to see my friends, my feathered friends. But what do you do with anxiety? How do you deal with it? When it's there and it's just looking at you right in the eye, when it's there and it's mocking you, when it's there and it's challenging you, what do you do with that? Max Licato wrote a great book, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. And I recommend this to you as a summer read. Take it to the beach, put it on your, your nightstand, read it before you go to bed, because he's going to give you a ton of insight about what you do with the anxiety in your life, with the anxious thoughts in your life. And one of the best sections is at the end when he summarizes everything and he uses a lot of scripture, uh, scripture after scripture after scripture. It's just a great resource to have. He writes, it's a low-grade fear, an edginess, a dread. It's a wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as it is the certainty that one is coming always coming so you don't sleep well you don't laugh often you don't enjoy the sun you don't whistle as you walk the anxiety has its reasons fine print is going to be found the other shoe will fall there's misfortune to be had out there it's just a matter of time you didn't select your birthplace or birth date you didn't choose your parents or siblings. 
You don't determine the weather or the amount of salt in the ocean. There are many things in life over which you have no choice. But the greatest activity of life is well within your dominion. You can choose what you think about. You can be the air traffic controller of your mental airport. You occupy the control tower and can direct the mental traffic of your world. Thoughts circle above, coming and going. If one of them lands, it is because you gave it permission. If it leaves, it is because you directed it to do so. You can select your thought pattern. And then he quotes Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. For that reason, the wise man urges, be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. Proverbs 4.23, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Turns out that our most valuable weapon against anxiety weighs less than three pounds and sits between our ears. Think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give us wisdom today through your word. I pray that you would draw us to understand the conundrum of anxiety and the way you want us to engage it because of who you are in our lives. We give you these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 13 and verse 19. The end of all things is near. You see, in the first century, they thought that after Jesus left, that he was going to come back pretty lickety split. He was going to come back and everything was going to be okay. He's going to wrap everything up and pull it all together. And as you know, it's been 2,000 years now, but they really thought it was going to happen really soon. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. What is he saying? The most important thing you've got going for you is thinking about the way you think. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And prayer is something that is so easily accessible. It's free. It's so easy to grab onto that sometimes we so easily take it for granted and we don't use it as much as we should, or we, we're not sure exactly how to use it. Philip Yancey, in a book about prayer, talks about five different ways that we can pray. He says, pray about your heart's desire. There are things in your heart that are there, they reside there, they live there, they, they beat fast there sometimes in your heart, and possibly God gave those to you. God put that heartbeat in you. God put that desire in you. So pray about the desires that are in your heart that God might reveal to you the meaning of that desire or the direction that that desire is taking you in. Pray about your heart's desire. Pray about your laments. Another way to say that is pray about your anxieties. Pray about what gives you anxious thoughts. Say, you know, God, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know even why I feel so, so overwhelmed by this, but I just need to bring this to you right now. Pray about your laments. Confess. Confess through prayer. Maybe you did something you shouldn't have done. Maybe you went somewhere you shouldn't have gone. Maybe you said something you shouldn't have done. And so you confess that before God and he forgives you. Then he might direct you to do something out of that confession. You might have to go somewhere and talk to somebody or write somebody a letter. Or you may just have to forgive yourself as a result of God forgiving you. 
the fourth type of prayer is, is what he calls, pray, please show up. Pray, please show up. God, in this situation, if you don't show up, it's just not going to be good for me. If you don't show up, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. If you don't show up, I don't know where, which way to turn. So you just pray, God, show up in this relationship. God, show up in this conversation. God, show up in this presentation that I have to make. The fifth kind of prayer is simply called faith. Faith prayer. God, there's a gap. I don't know how to get across this gap. I can't even begin to think about how to build the bridge or, or make the jump. And so I need you to stretch my faith so that my faith covers the expanse of the gap. So pray and ask God for the faith that makes you more and more congruent with what he is about to do in your life. Pray your heart's desire. Pray your laments. Pray your confession. Pray please show up. Pray for faith, therefore be alert and of sober, sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why does Peter say offer hospitality to one another without grumbling? Because people were grumbling. Because people were like, oh, you're kidding me. I got to have them over to my house again. Oh, you're kidding me. I got I to gotta buy lunch. Oh, you're kidding me. He says, don't you understand that to be different than the world? You have to love above and beyond the choices that kind of make you feel better. Tim Tebow just actually tweeted this this morning, that we do not get to choose who we love. And you know, if Tim Tebow tweeted it, it must be true, right? You just know, because you like Tim and you love Tim and, and he's playing in the minor leagues or the Mets and you got to pray for, for Tim. But uh, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Sin is missing the mark. Sin is like going after the things that God doesn't want you to go after. So this is saying, get beyond that. Get out there extend a hand of blessing to somebody, which is what's going to come up really soon here in the verse that follows. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So first he says, pray. Then he says, love. Then he says, serve. And here's the interesting thing. He's talking about God's grace. And how does he define God's grace? He says, you are God's grace. That's how God extends his grace. We sing about amazing grace. You are God's amazing grace. As you use the gifts that you have, as you deploy them into community, as you use the gifts you have, as you bring them into a relationship, as you see somewhere where there is a gap and somebody's praying that they will have faith to traverse the gap and you show up and you help them through the gap. That's how it works. This is how anxiety comes down. This is how anxious thoughts are dissipated. Pray, love, serve. You, it's so awesome to think about it. You are God's grace. Then he says this, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very 
words of God. Imagine that. Peter says, if you're going to talk to people, talk as if God is going to talk through you. I once had a, a huge level of anxiety about the future of my life. And I really didn't know what I was going to do about it or with it. And it was this giant chasm. And so I, I asked this gentleman who was a lot older than me if I could just have lunch with him. And I put it on the table. I said, I can't figure out what God is doing. And he lived at least two of my lifetimes. And he had walked with God a long time. And he had immersed himself, himself in God's word for a long time. And he had the, the experience of, of the ups and downs and the in-betweens of the Christian life and the gaps and seeing God show up in the gaps. And I said, I just don't know what God is saying to me. And when he spoke, it was exactly as if I heard the voice of God speaking to me. He looked at me, he didn't blink. And he said, God is saying, wait. And I never considered that before. I've considered it many times since. God is saying, wait. Sometimes you just have to wait and let God orchestrate all the things that he can, he can move around that gets you through the anxious time, that gets you through the anxious thoughts, that takes the, the swirl of chaos and makes it a, 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 a smooth sea, a glassy sea that you are now sailing on and you know you're going where he wants to take you. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Sometimes you are going to be speaking the very words of God into someone's life. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And what he's saying is it's really not about us, is it? It's not about us gratifying self-centered desires. It's not about us feeling better. It's about knowing that what we're doing is his will on earth as it is in heaven, as I like to say. It's about knowing that your Christian maturity is expanding to the level where you are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Everybody connected to ministry and mission. Everybody looking like Jesus. And then verse 12, it hits hard. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised when it gets hot. Do not be surprised when the chaos abounds. Do not be surprised when the anxious thoughts become a tsunami and they threaten to take over your entire life and take you out of the curve of what God's doing. Do not be surprised like something strange has happened. This is, this is life. This is how life is. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed again. Jesus went through all this. Jesus had, had swirling circumstances and chaotic things were going on around him. And people were trying to bring him down. And finally they thought that they brought him down when they got him on a cross. And even on a cross, he wasn't anxious. Even on a cross, he had no anxiety. Even on a cross, he had the peace of mind and heart to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what 
they do. He knew what he was doing for us. They didn't understand and know what they were doing. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. It tests your maturity. It tests your faith, your growing faith. Don't think it's something strange. It's going to happen to you so that you become more and more of a servant, more and more of a follower of Christ, not following the way the world says to go and every other week it changes for some reason, but following his voice. His sheep hear his voice and they know him. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter says, you just keep going. You just keep moving through. Pray, love, serve, and you just keep moving through. There are three verses about being anxious in the Old Testament that I'd like to bring to you. Deuteronomy 28.65. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. What's God saying to Israel in those days? He's saying, if you look around you, wherever you are, and you try to reach out for what other people have, you try to reach out for what the world says you should have, you do anything to reach out for anything that I'm not putting in your life, you are always just going to end up anxious. You're going to end up weary. You're going to end up in despair. You've got to get congruent with what I'm doing in your life or your life doesn't work. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The psalmist says you have anxious thoughts and you want to give those to God. You want to allow him to work in them and through them so that you know his perfect will and you know the peace that comes from him. Let him search you. Let him know your heart. Pour out your laments before him. Confess. Pray the desire of your heart. Pray, pray please show up. Pray stretch my faith. Ecclesiastes 2.22. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? And as you know from the book of Ecclesiastes, it's like there's nothing. There's nothing that you really get from that. And in the end, unless you know God deeply, unless you walk with him intimately, it all just ends up smoke and mirrors. It all ends up like the chaff that blows in the wind. Your life has to be grounded by the one who gave his life for you. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, which is basically the background of the title of the book, Anxious for Nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul wrote. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he says, do not be anxious. It's a command. Why is he saying it like that? Why is he saying it as a command? Do not be anxious. Because they are anxious. And because they're letting their anxious thoughts overwhelm them. You came in here today with anxious thoughts. You came in here today with anxieties. You came in here today with question marks about stuff involving relationships, stuff involving the future, stuff involving stuff that you have to do this week. Do not be anxious about anything. And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's God's peace. It's not our peace. God superintends our lives, our minds, and our hearts with his peace. Finally, brothers and sisters, and he gives you sort of a prescription for how you do that. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you've got going on here between your two ears is the biggest resource that you have. Think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul writes, put it into practice. You see how I've learned to live above anxiety. You've seen how I've learned to dispel anxious thoughts. You've seen it in me. Now do it in your own life. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That means there's no other way to figure it out. There's no logical way to figure it out. You have anxieties and anxious thoughts that do not submit to logic. They only submit to the work that God is doing in you as you allow God to do that work in you. Henry Cloud puts it this way. All purposeful living involves pain. All living, a life that is a, going to be a meaningful life has pain in it, but it leads somewhere good. It's going somewhere where God is taking you for all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Lack of purpose, that's the problem. Lack of purpose becomes painful and leads to nowhere. There are four verses of, about anxiety Three in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament that I'd like to share with you. Psalm 94, 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. There was anxiety inside of me. But I allowed the peace of God to enter and to bring me joy, a quiet joy. A joy that doesn't stand up and, and shout. A joy that's not proclaimed on billboards. Just a quiet joy that, that brings the anxiety into subjection to the will of God. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up, which is why sometimes when we're anxious, I, I, I love what, what Mike O was saying this morning. We're all anxious for some reason about something. And what if somebody went up and just put their arm around Mike or you put your arm around me or I put my arm around you and I remind you how much God loves you and that you're doing a great job and, and that I see, I see compassion in your heart that reminds me of the compassion that Jesus had all the time. When we bring that kind of encouragement to, to each other, then we dispel the anxieties that can weigh us down, but a kind word cheers it up. Ecclesiastes 11.10. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Maybe the, the most well-known verse in the New Testament. Certainly one that I go back to over and over again. And I 
say this to people all the time, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him. He'll take it. Cast all your anxiety on him. He wants it. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he loves you. He cares about your life. He cares about that moment that's coming up that's making you anxious. He cares about that relational situation that's making you anxious. And so you go, I have to give it to you. I have to let you have it. I remember a long time ago being very anxious, so anxious I had to go into a church by myself and pray. And I prayed and I said, God, I can't make this decision. I need you to make this decision. I just, I just gave it to him. And it was a decision about whether or not I was going to have to move and make a big ministry transition. And God spoke to me that day. And he said very quietly to my heart, I have a place for you here. I have a place for you here. And he cared about me and he cared about my family. And he just said, don't worry. It's going to be okay. You're supposed to stay here. I'm going to do something with you. I'm doing something in you and through you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You came in here today with an anxious thought. You came in here today with anxiety about something. And God is saying to you, give it to me. I care so much about you that I will carry it for you and we'll walk through this time together. It turns out that our most valuable weapon against anxiety weighs about three pounds and sits between our ears. In Habakkuk chapter 3, there's a prayer. I've loved that little short minor prophet book, Habakkuk, ever since I first studied it a few years ago. We did a short series on it here. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, he kind of wraps it all up. And you, you're going to hear the anxiety that he uses to wrap up everything. It starts out, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. What's he praying in that prayer? God, show up. Show up now. Because it's not good. It's not looking good. I need you to show up. And then verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, in plain English, my life has gone down the tubes, God, and you know it. There's nothing out there anymore. They even closed farm fresh. Where am I supposed to go in grocery shop? I still haven't figured it out. It's been like two months now. I don't know where I'm going. Uh, there's nothing. There's no, I can't get anywhere. Nothing's happening. That's good. I don't see anything on the horizon. And then he goes on and brings it to an amazing conclusion. Next verse, please. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, casting all of my anxiety on you because I know you've got this. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. 
He enables me to tread on the heights. He's got nothing. Now he's a deer. He's climbing the mountains. Why? It's because he's, he's understanding how it really works. It works when you give it all to a God who cares for you. It works when you give it all to a God who wants to bring his peace into the dicey moments of your life. Carly Fiorina put it this way in her book, Tough Choices. Fear and uncertainty can drive behavior. Emotion can determine a decision as often as reason. In other words, people make lots of decisions that are just driven by emotion. Large groups or responsible executives or individuals can be motivated to shoot themselves in the proverbial foot through their actions. These are common sense statements to anyone who has actually observed people in the real business world. What's Carly saying? She's saying really smart people, people who went to great schools, people who think that they, they got it all together, they got a great team, they end up responding out of anxiety and fear and anxious thoughts and they just shoot themselves in the foot and it doesn't look good after that happens. And she's saying you don't have to do that. Don't do that. And as a Christian, she knows how not to do that. If we let anxiety drive decisions, it never ends well. So pulling it together, and these axioms are going to be available outside at the Connection Center if you want to take a copy home. I'm going to give you uh, my overview, what I call my anxious axioms. There comes a time in life to decide what you really believe and what you're willing to sacrifice for your belief. There comes a time in life when gut-level prayer marks time like a scar marks a wound. There comes a time in life when you have to risk everything you have in hope of gaining everything God wants. There comes a time in life when hardship and pain will take up residence in your heart to manifest, to reveal the road of faith that is rolling out ahead of you. There comes a time when a story called grace will remind you of who you are and what God made you to do. A time when a story called grace will remind you of who you are with each other and with God and what God made you to do. I read a lot of books, as you know. I read a lot of magazines, too. And I was reading this month's ESPN magazine, and what caught my eye was an interview with Danica Patrick. And uh, she said, at 36, I am retiring from racing. So she's 36, the sport that she's known for all these years. She's stepping away from it into the unknown. She doesn't know really what's going to happen. And so as you read through the interview, you kind of feel some of the tension of that. You feel some of the anxiety of that. What do I do now with the rest of my life? And she said this, you can't leave your future up to someone else. You have to grab it with both hands and fight for what you want. Wouldn't it be amazing if I was known for something other than racing someday. That's the second part of 
the story. That's the second part of the story. What's the second part of your story? What anxiety did you come in with today? What fear threatens to derail you, deter you from what God wants you to do? What's the second part of your story? See, the Bible tells a second part to God's story. There's the big setup of the story. We call it the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. 39 books in the Old Testament, and they all sort of move to this place talking about a Savior that's going to come, waiting for the one that's going to come and bring hope and redemption, forgiveness of sins to the human race after the fall in Genesis. Then there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then suddenly out of that silence, there's a call in the wilderness. And John the Baptist says, Behold, he who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the one who takes away the sins of the world. And now all the expectations, they didn't know when he was going to come. They didn't know when that was going to happen. All of a sudden, 400 years of silence, and, and he shows up. God shows up, and he says, let me show you the second part of the story. Let me show you the second half of my my story that I want to, to give you. And he lives his life out in full-blown technicolor before us, widescreen. Watch me do what I do. Watch me turn water to wine. Watch me raise someone from the dead. Watch me heal people of diseases. Listen to my words. Listen to my stories and understand the depth of meaning of my stories. And then watch me as I go to a cross for you. And as I give my life for you, but I give my life not because they decided to take my life, but because I decided to lay it down for you so that you could have a second part to your story, so that you could believe in me, so that someday you could live with me forever and ever in a place called heaven in my Father's kingdom where I have prepared a place for you. And he says, do you want that second part of the story of your life? Because to get that second part of the story of your life, you have to intentionally invite him to be in your life. You have to cast all the anxiety of your life away. And in a moment of glory and grace, you have to say, Jesus Christ, I accept you into my heart. I accept you as the Lord and Savior of my life. And that's why we do the baptism. The baptisms down on, on, on the ocean front are outward symbols of an inward reality that took place when you invited Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. When you said, I will constantly cast my anxiety to you. I will live for you. You can ask me how to use my gifts and invest them in, in community because that's the meaning of my life. And I'm not living my life for myself or for myself to feel better. I'm living it for you and to grow to maturity in Christ, to be a light in the world. And that's what he offers you in the second half of your story. The other day I got a phone call. I went to see a woman. And this woman in four days would be dead. And what she wanted to know was what was going to happen on the other side. And what was going to happen about heaven. What was going to happen about Jesus. And so often I get asked questions about the problems that exist in life and the struggle that people have in life. 
And I always say, say the same thing. I say, well, you're looking at life like a box. And, and you're seeing everything inside of the box. But this is the way God looks at it. God kicks out this end of the box. He knew you before you were born. Your birth was not the beginning of your life. He already knew everything that he was going to want for you to do. And he knew the story of your life before you were even born. And God kicks out the other end of the box. And God says, you're not ever going to really die. If you believe in me, you believe in my son, Jesus Christ, you are going to live forever. And this wonderful woman and I had a conversation about living forever. And I could see in her eyes the confirmation of that truth and what it was doing in her and through her so that four days later she could peacefully walk out of a body that was worn out at 51 years of age, a body that was beat down by disease after 51 years of age. She could walk out and walk into glory and walk into love and walk into grace because she was living the second part of her life with and for and in and through Jesus Christ. What is the second part of the story of your life? Max Licato ends his book saying, I will face today's challenges with today's strength. I will dance with today's waltz. With today's music, I will celebrate today's opportunities. With today's hope, I will live today. Casting all of your anxiety upon him. Because whatever you came in here with today, you can't do much about. But casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And watch what he does as you begin to live the second half of your life. Dear Jesus, we, we need you. We need you more than sometimes we realize each and every day. As we struggle with the ambiguities, as the, the anxiety and the anxious thoughts wait in the wings to jump out and ambush us. Father, as the troubles of this week just rise up and laugh in our faces sometimes, Father, we know that you love us. And so I pray for each person in here today. I pray over each anxious thought, Father, that the peace, that is your peace, would rule and reign in our hearts and minds because we know that you love us. We know how you lived your story. In Jesus' name, amen.